Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the director of the Henry Nowen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nowen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Society is to extend the rich, spiritual legacy of Henry Nowen to audiences around the world. Over these past four years, we've been developing an outreach to caregivers because we were aware that Henry Nowen had so much to offer to this community. We created a series of books, Hope for Caregivers, a 40-day devotional for this frontline community, and Courage for Caregivers, sustenance for the journey in the company of Henry Nowen. In the process of developing this series and of offering retreats and workshops, we became aware we needed a special book for professional caregivers. And by this, we don't just mean medical caregivers, but our umbrella includes teachers, social workers, chaplains, and many, many more whose life work involves caring for the needs of others on the front lines of need. I'm delighted today to announce the latest book in this caregiving series, Healthy Caregiving, Perspectives for Caring Professionals in Company with Henry J.M. Nowen. And I have with me the author of this new book, Michelle O'Rourke. Let me tell you a little bit about Michelle. She's a nurse with a background including emergency nursing, parish nursing, hospice palliative care, and spirituality. In 2007, she spent a year doing extensive research on Henry's life and writings, particularly around his spirituality of death and dying. This work changed her life personally, and her research was eventually published in the book Befriending Death, Henry Nowen and the Spirituality of Dying. This was followed by another book, Embracing the End of Life, Help for Those Who Accompany the Dying. As you can hear, Michelle is steeped in what Nowen can offer, but also brings an excellence in terms of her very practical experience. We're so delighted to talk with Michelle today. She has represented us across North America at many Courage for Caregiving events, and Michelle also plays a very important role in the Nowen Society, linking us to caregivers around the world. Michelle, thank you for bringing your deep knowledge of Henry and your knowledge of the acute needs of professional caregivers together in this new book, Healthy Caregiving. I love the title. What a timely book, as we all see the vital contribution caregivers are making on the front line of our battle with COVID-19. Michelle, help us understand some of the ways you believe Henry's wisdom can help us to navigate this difficult time we find ourselves in. Thank you, Karen, and, and thank you most of all for, for asking me to be a part of this kind of a conversation, because I think uh, for most of us, it's being able to talk about our fears, to be able to talk about the things that we're struggling with, and, and that's how we process it, but also be able to hear different perspectives and things that can give us hope and things that can give us strength is important as well. And I know for me over the years, um, and, and even looking back now during this time of COVID-19, which is unprecedented in our lives, that Henry has brought wisdom that has kind of sunk in in my own thinking and my own being. And I, and I think he has a lot to offer people um, because his writings and his life, it was so extensive. And I think one of the first things that, that um, came to me, and it, it's a quote that I have in my new book, um, and it comes from his the the book of a compilation of some of his work again around mourning um turn my morning into dancing and he says you know one of life's great questions centers not in what happens to us 
but rather how we live through and in whatever happens. Our choice revolves around not what has happened or is happening to us, but how we relate to it, how we relate to life's turns and circumstances. And so he says, put it in another way, will I relate to my life resentfully or gratefully? And I think for me, what Henry does is he offers us a way of looking at things. He's, he's helped me to change my perspective. How can we take something like being vulnerable, which all of us have discovered this new vulnerability um, in our humanity, and the people that Henry lived with at large taught him so much about being vulnerable, and yet recognizing that in our weaknesses is where we find our strength. And so how, again, do we turn that around? And Henry talks about this paradox in our living of joy and sorrow being two sides of the same coin. And I think for every experience that we have where we feel supreme joy, there's always the sorrow that, well, that experience is going to be over again. Or, or if we experience a time of sorrow, that ultimately joy can come from that in how we are cared for by others through our sorrow. So just Henry's words, always helping us to be able to um, look at things in a new way and give us hope, give us some choices, give us some guidance and some wisdom. I think that this change in perspective is what's really helpful about his work. You know, I, I, I love what you're sharing. It's funny because we, we we hear a lot from our the people that receive the daily meditations and the, and the Instagram postings. We hear a lot about right now, Henry is is giving them wisdom, is giving them, you know, um, I, w- I would say that, I, I would say his words are coming alive in people's lives because they need it. They kind of want something that grounds them. And uh, that business about the paradox of sorrow and joy is is so true. Um, it, a lot is required right now, an awful lot. You know, patience is required. What are you, is that sort of typical for the caregiver at, in that role? Because not everybody gets better. And that's probably the, the thing we're all fearing right now. When is this ever going to end? Can we go back to normal? And yet all of us are kind of having to grasp the reality that there's going to be a new normal. It's not a going back. It's a going forward. Tell me a little bit about what you have uh, found and give, and you have to give to healthy caregivers ab- about patience. I think patience is something that is... Um... It's something that we misunderstand sometimes. And, and again, Henry's wisdom is timeless. Like, you know, he wrote about patients 30, 40 years ago, and we're looking at it from a different perspective. But what he did say about patients is patience is not just waiting until something happens over which we have no control, which is, I think, where we feel stuck right now. It's like we have no control over this. What do we do in the meantime? When is it going to end? He said, patience asks us to live in the moment to the fullest, to be completely present to the moment, to taste the here and now and to be where we are. So that patience is very active. 
It's not a sitting and waiting and seeing, but there's this constructive kind of being in the moment. And how can we sit with this and help it to ground us about, you know, what's important in our life, what's truly important now that so many things have been taken away? You know, what will our lives look like? We do have some control over how we will resume living. Um, and do we want it to go back to the rat race that it was? Or, or how will that change for us? And so I think this notion of patience not being just awaiting for something to happen to us, but this being active in, a, in our patience. And I think that in my, in my history, working in nursing, working in ministry, as well as working with the dying, what I have learned so much is about this having to live in the moment. You don't know how many moments you have left. None of us knows what tomorrow will bring. And so if we can learn to live today, not worry about so much about the way things were or, or what they might look like in the future, but what do we need to do today? Who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to call on the phone? How do we need to um, accept you know, what's happening inside our heart and our soul and to listen to that? And so this patience that teaches us how to slow down, it teaches us how to live every moment with intention, actively, not passively. That's, that's been a real lesson for me from Henry's work. I find one of the elements of this time is that we sit with others. There's a solidarity with the world there's a solidarity with people in France, in Africa, and across Canada and the United States. So we have this solidarity that probably, in a way, we've never stopped to consider. And it's going to, I hope, birth in us a deeper compassion for others. But there's also the reality that people experience loneliness and, um, and aloneness in a new way. And uh, how do we enter into that? I think there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, again, Henry's writing made me really reflect on what is true presence? You know, we always think of this physical presence, and yet there is presence in absence. Um, and he talked about it mostly in his writings after his mother died, of how he still felt close to her. But even in writing letters back and forth to his father when he was in North America and his father was in Europe, there was still a presence there. There was a felt presence that somebody was loving you and somebody was supporting you, even though they weren't in the room. And I think that's a very, very profound lesson we're all learning right now about the fact that even though we may be in this physical self-isolation, that I know in my family, we've had Zoom calls. My kids live in all across Ontario and British Columbia and I have family all over the province and you know when you sit together and you can see each other on the um, computer and you can still laugh and and smile and share stories they don't seem so far away and I think more and more people are exploring these ways of how we're connected and as you said Karen 
we're so aware of what's happening across the entire world. I mean, our hearts are broken for Italy and France and Spain and China and all these places that, you know, were so tragically affected by this virus. And even though we weren't there, our hearts were there, our prayers were there, our thoughts were there. And right now in Canada, we're the whole country is reeling for the pain in Nova Scotia. Yes. Everybody can't, you know, fathom the tragedy and the pain that those people are suffering. And yet I think there's some sense of solidarity and some way that Nova Scotia has understood that the whole country is holding them virtually and loving them and supporting them in different ways. And so for us to really examine what is presence and how are we present in our physical absence and and yet how profound is that? So again, not focusing so much on our aloneness, but on our connectedness. I want to just share something for our audience is a global audience. And I want to just share because you may not have heard what happened in Nova Scotia or you may have, but it was actually the largest mass shooting Canada has ever experienced. And at this point, we know that there were 22 victims and it happened in a very, very short span of time. It was just horrific. And it is an incredible heartache for Canadians and for, for people around the world, that kind of a horror. Um, I also had the privilege and have felt so near to New York because I was in New York the beginning of March. And actually it was just, you know, upon leaving that suddenly we, you know, the the full impact of what was going to be happening in New York was beginning to hit. And our hearts go out to so many places across North America right now where this virus is, is just uh, storming. And uh, whether it's Quebec or it's uh, California or it's Washington or it's it's New York, I, I mean, uh, our hearts are going out to all of you. Uh, we just we hold you right now, and and long that you would just see uh, a turnaround, and and we would all see this this flattening of the curve that everybody wants. I'm wondering, Michelle, if it would be wonderful if you would speak directly to those caregivers and name some of the things that keep them healthy and bring them hope. I've often said that in our caregiving initiative, we're not the people that put the band-aids on, but the people that are putting the band-aids on around the world right now. Has Henry got something to offer to them, and can you speak directly to that, Michelle? Yeah, I can, because I think that what Henry does is he, he has helped us through his writings to look at the the very essence of what the word care means. Sometimes we, we look at care as just a task, something I do, you know, well, I'm going to do some wound care, I'm going to do some mouth care, some foot care, and it, it's a very task-oriented thing. But <clears throat> Henry asks us to look more deeply and to realize that care is about relationship. And how do I enter into that person's suffering before I try to do something about it? And I think in this time, um, again, that's been unprecedented. There isn't any way that we can fix really what's happening. Um, But we're asked to be present to each other's suffering and what they're going through. And I think this is particularly poignant or people who are actually caring for others. So we have those 
what we might call informal family caregivers, people who are caring for um, maybe spouses with dementia, caring for chronically ill children, caring for, um, you know, spouses who are ill. But then we also have this normal everyday caring that's kind of turned on its head because all of our children are staying home. So everybody has become full-time caregivers to their kids. They're not going off to school. They're not going off to sports. There's a different way that we're even caring uh, for our own family and a different way that we're caring from a distance for our extended family and our friends and our neighbors. So, you know, um, I think that the biggest thing that people have to do when they're providing care for someone else is to consider how am I taking care of myself in all of this? And what we've learned about things like burnout and compassion fatigue and those things that can draw the life out of us if we do not refuel and regenerate, if we do not fill our cup, um, has taught us that self-care is something that it, it's important. It's not something to add on to your to-do list, but it's an intentional way of living. How am I taking moments out of the day to refresh myself, to um, be able to just kind of take a few deep breaths and um, remember who I am and what's important in life instead of getting so caught up in the task? How can I you know, even some boundaries and some limits on how I overextend myself sometimes. Because I think sometimes what we do is we put expectations on ourselves that are unrealistic. And we always look at, I should be doing more. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And I say to people, have compassion for yourself. If your friend was saying this to you, you would say, no, no, you have to relax. You have to take time for yourself. You have to take a bath. You have to rest. You have to keep yourself healthy. You have to eat well. And you have to fill your cup. But we sometimes don't have that self-compassion for ourselves. We expect too much of ourselves. And if we do not take the time to feed our heart and our soul and our body, to take care of our, ourselves, while we're caring for others, then we'll get sick and then we will not be good for anyone, ourselves or anyone else. It's interesting because uh, in that, I'm reminded of, uh, uh, this comes actually in the book, um, Courage for Caregivers. And I'm reminded of one of the stories there of what a pain what you're saying can be to a caregiver when for example a well-meaning relative can come along and say you've got to do you've got to take care of yourself more and it's almost like another thing to add to your to-do list but I think you're really speaking to a deeper reality that you alone as the caregiver need to to value yourself enough to allow yourself what you need and and that I, I love that self-care, that loving, really loving, and the self-compassion, as you put it, that is needed. But this is not intended to be uh, another thing to add on top of all that you're handling right now. I think about those people that are working 12-hour shifts, coming home to their families, worried that they might be bringing home the COVID virus to their families and therefore another whole set of tasks and trying to find rest within that. 
I mean, uh, the rest of us that aren't on that front line, we need to be praying for them and caring for them and finding ways that we can we can bring not just the reminder they need self-care, but find ways we can give into their lives that which would be an encouragement, that which would be a, a source of, of a little bit of joy and, uh, and hope for them. Um, and I think that sometimes, Karen, it's not, it's not really rocket science in a sense to do that. I mean, I, I think knowing many frontline caregivers, um, including my own son, who's an emergency nurse in downtown Toronto, and I worry about him every day. And yet, um, taking the time, if you have someone you know working on the front lines, to send them a text or give them a call and just say, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's about being able to give people opportunities to speak to how they're feeling, their emotions. Um, you know, so much of what we're experiencing is compound grief. And I think as a society, we've had to grieve life as the way we knew it. You know, six weeks ago, we weren't living like this. And and how our relationships have changed how our stress levels have changed, how the fact that we cannot even reach out and hug the people that we love, we can't even see them except for from a distance or on a computer, tablet. Like it, it's been heart-wrenching when you think of the, thing, the ways of life that we've had to let go of and that this overwhelming grief. Um, and, and one of the things that we learn about working through grief part of it working through grief is the telling of the stories mm-hmm. having a place to just talk about how how you're feeling and you know i read a really interesting article yesterday about grief and in, in this face of covid and he said you know you have to give your emotions motion mm-hmm. and i thought i love that because if we keep our emotions and our fears bottled up inside they'll just explode somehow in stress burnout but making sure that we're taking the time to talk to our friends whether it's virtually or on the telephone or shooting them a text um telling them that you care telling them that you're there i think the frontline supporters are getting lots of encouragement from the public who are putting up signs and sending meals and driving by and honking their horns and singing from their balconies. Like there's been this collective sense of support, which is helpful. And for us to be able to drink that in and sit and reflect on it and let us, let it nourish us and let it feed us and kind of examine in your own life, who's that person that might need a quick call or a card in the mail or, you know, um, piece of cake on the front porch you know it's those little things it's self-care and, and caring for each other it doesn't have to be huge it it all adds up I'm I am so also wanting to be sure that all our conversation includes all those people that make possible our living through this I'm thinking of those people that are at the checkout counter in your in your grocery store and our risks are just as much at risk and uh, the people that are delivering so many things to our doors and the things that we need there's a graciousness right now and I think we are we want to honor everybody in this process you know this book I can't get over that this book should come out 
literally in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, literally it launched at the beginning of March and uh, it's so exciting. We're working with Novalis and 23rd Psalm in the publishing of this book. We're very, very proud of it. It was made possible by a wonderful grant from Stronger Philanthropy and it's just full packed with good things. But here, it's almost like, you know, you, you've gone out way ahead of us and you have such rich uh, resources to offer us right now. I really want to encourage people, uh, check out the website. There'll be links there to picking up the book. But I'd love to hear a little bit more. Tell me a bit about, you know, one of the realities of this that is kind of the, the um, almost the opposite of the loneliness is solitude. Solitude was a very important dimension for Henry Nowen, uh, he he would emphasize emphasize solitude, community, ministry. Those three, and in fact, we have a conference coming up next year that is going to look at the art of living with Hen- by Henry Nowen, and it's going to look at solitude, ministry, or rather, solitude, community, and ministry. But let's talk a little bit about solitude because that is a reality right now. What are you? What can? What does Henry bring to that for you? I think that, I mean, Henry wrote a lot about that. Um, he, has a, he has a lovely book called Out of Solitude. And I think in our, in our society today, solitude has been something that, you know, we're too busy, we avoid. And yet, um, you know, now that we've been forced into these um, times of self-isolation, it's, what do you do with this quiet time? And um, Henry said that, you know, it is in this solitude that we discover that being is more important than having, and that we're worth more than the results of our efforts. And in solitude, we will discover that our life is not a possession to be defended, but it's a gift to be shared. And in solitude, we become aware that our worth is not the same as our usefulness. And so I think taking this precious gift of time and quiet that we've been given to learn how to rest in it and whether we do some reading or some thinking or some journaling or we just sit with our cup of coffee and take a deep breath and go wow how has my life changed what will be different and what has become very important to me in these days And, you know, yesterday we celebrated Earth Day. And so there were different programs and things on TV reminding us that since the world's come to a standstill, we have so much less smog and there's so much more beauty in the ocean because, you know, some of the animals have been able to come back. And you're just kind of going, wow, you know, for the world to have to stop to realize what's important, I really hope that we don't just go back to living the kind of on a hamster wheel that we thought we didn't have any choice to live. I think that, you know, taking this time of solitude and really looking inside at our heart and our soul and being able to, um, you know, try to grapple with what is important to me now in my life and how I spent my money and how I spent my time, and what might change moving forward. So 
this time of solitude, Henry called it a furnace of transformation. You know, and we've been forced into this solitude. And I hope that we can make it um, something that's fruitful. I love that phrase, a furnace of transformation that does describe the possibility in this. And it's interesting because as we age, you know, you become so set in your ways. And this is a reset. This is a moment of reset, I think, which is really interesting. Um, Wayne Muller uh, had some prophetic words in his foreword to your book. The only honorable place we can possibly begin this pilgrimage together to slow, quiet, this flailing, screaming machine of society generating impossible demands is to return to our center, bring ourselves home, and start where we are. Our wisdom and traditions and life lessons teach us caring and growing in community with others is the key. When two or more gather in this way, faithful in the knowledge that this miraculously is enough, what happens next is beyond our dominion and our imagination. We don't often know what this will look like, but we can know this much. It will surely take our breath away. That's from Wayne Muller, author of many wonderful books, including Sabbath. And I think many of us have been reminded of that book, Sabbath, which he wrote during this time period because there's so much wisdom in that. And he was calling people to find that place of rest. Well, now we are forced into it. And not everybody is forced into absolute stillness because let's face it, there's a busyness if you've moved your office home and you've got kids around you, you know, that are, you're trying to school. And, and and then, of course, for those that are being asked to go out and work on the behalf of all of those that have to stay in, there is busyness. It's not all simply quiet. But having said that, the very fact that we are at a we're at a reset moment is really critical. I, I really believe that it's, it's like this crossroads and, and it's what we do with it that will matter. And, um, you know, you see different um, sayings on social media and, you know, things, positive um, twists on this about, you know, maybe we can discover again, the joy of reading, mm-hmm. the joy of, you know, having dinner around the table instead of in front of the TV or on the way out the door for one more, you know, appointment or event because we've been forced to stop and stay put. And yes, for some people, they're still busy coming and going. And, you know, they certainly have the added stress of worrying about bringing this um, virus home to their families. And yet I think, you know, even in those cases, it's helped us, to stop and think about the little thing and to actually learn how to be, how to just be our best selves in the time that, um, that is presented to us and learning how to not, you know, what it's like to not be in control of a situation. I think that's, that's a huge learning for our, society is that you know we always like to think we're in control but we're really not that can be taken away from us so so where do we put our sense of um, solid solidarity and is it in our um, in our beliefs in our values in our sense of love and relationship in our faith 
you know, we look at those things that are grounding us during this time. And, and hopefully, with the little pieces of solitude that we have, those things can be strengthened. You know, one of the things that amazes me about this, you've been very much a part of our Courage for Caregivers initiative. We started it about four years ago, and we were very fortunate to have a grant that allowed us to develop a number of uh, very good books, and they're available online for us. Um, and But one of the interesting things was we thought, well, we'll take this out and we'll offer retreats and workshops. But what became evident to us, particularly for the home caregivers, but also for the professional caregivers, was the inability to get away. It was their, their, you know, working out to the edges of their lives. And so right now, we have done kind of a, a, a turnaround and said, let's make what we have available online. Now we're just in the process of, I can't tell you that it's all there at all. I can tell you the books, you can go and purchase them on our website. But we are working towards having a web portal for caregivers so that they can go and hear stories of others that would be encouraging and would be informative. And we have wonderful material from our two key people in this program. Michelle is one of them, and you've heard what a a source of wisdom she is. We also have Marjorie Thompson, who wrote the book Courage for Caregivers, which was really sustenance for the journey in the company of Henry Nowen. And that was because we knew that the people, whether they were kind of found themselves in the trenches of caregiving, sometimes overnight, sometimes, you know, a, a partner has a stroke and suddenly your world is turned upside down and you are home providing care or you have a fragile child or you have somebody that's facing the cancer challenge or or the COVID-19 challenge. You You are... You're thrown into this. And we at the Henry Nowen Society really want to provide you with resources. And as I said, it's not the band-aid to put on, but it's more the reality of the spiritual nourishment that Henry has to offer. I want to highly recommend Michelle's book. This book, Healthy Caregiving, Perspectives for Caring Professionals in the Company of Henry J.M. Nowen. It's a treasure. It's a really beautiful little book. So uh, by all means, you'll be able to find a link on our website to that, but also the other resources. And you might even want to help support our efforts right now because we really want to see this be a completely available online initiative for caregivers who might be able to get away for five minutes or 10 minutes and somehow we can uh, lift their spirits a little bit. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say, Michelle, about that initiative that we've got going? Otherwise, I, I, I will just close us at this point. I think um, a couple things, Karen, just in closing, is that um, we were able to put together the, Marjorie did a beautiful job putting together resources for family caregivers and people caring for loved ones at home. And, and we realized that moving forward that there were sometimes different kinds of questions and different kinds of relationships that professional caregivers have, whether they're in healthcare, whether they're social workers, whether they're in ministry, whether they're teachers, no matter what their background, if you're caring for others, there are different kinds of questions and stresses, but also different ways that we can be fed, different ways that we come to understand ourselves in this care relationship. As a care partner, not just a caregiver, because caring goes two ways. 
And we as care providers have come to understand that we have learned so much and we have been changed by the people that we care for. What I've learned about patience, what I've learned about courage, what I've learned about unconditional love has so many times been taught to me by the people that I've been privileged to care for. And so as a care provider or a care partner, I am transformed just as much as that person I am caring with. And so it's a two-way street. And, and Henry knew that. He wrote a wonderful book called Wounded Healers, that all of us have our own stuff. We have our own grief. We're not perfect. We have our own um, inner struggles and, and wounds, but we can still come and care for each, each other and heal each other and learn from each other. And I think the value of some of these resources is for people who are in caregiving relationships to recognize how much they can be nourished by the person that they're caring for if they stop long enough to reflect on it. There's a giving and a receiving that has to take place. And if we're only giving, 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 and we're not allowing ourselves to receive either help and support from someone or to be nourished by the care encounters that we are in, then we burn out. And that's Henry was very specific about that. Burning is giving without receiving. And so just like breathing is, it's important to inhale and it's just as important to exhale. There's two things happening there that have to stay in balance. So as caregivers, as care partners, care providers, we all have to look for ways that we can go inside and, and feed ourselves and be refreshed so we have something to give tomorrow. And I, I think that um, a lot of the work that I do actually is in secular healthcare. It's, it's not connected to faith-based organizations. Um, so people with any kind of background in, in belief system or wisdom tradition or what have you can be helped by this resource because, as you know, Henry's background was spirituality, but it was also psychology. And I think he had a beautiful way of bridging the sacred and the secular and helping people, no matter what their background or belief system is, to see the essence of what care means, what compassion means, what healing means, what dignity means. And those are universal concepts. And I think that Henry's wisdom bridges all kinds of different um, areas, but it also is inspirational. And I think that's what we need more than anything, especially during this really difficult time. We need to be inspired. We need to, to feel fed. We need to be able to help us to look at things in a way that is life-giving instead of, um, you know, life-draining. And so Henry's can do that. I think people even going on the website and signing up for the daily emails to have something inspirational in your inbox in the morning, sometimes <laughs> that's just enough to get you through the day. Yeah. So, so that's a, a way to do self-care. Yeah. Self-care doesn't have to be onerous. It's the little things we do to feed ourselves, to refresh ourselves. It's sitting down with a cup of tea and not feeling guilty and maybe thinking about two things that I wanted to be grateful for today and just changing our focus and our perspective 
And I would just like to maybe leave the, the listeners with some questions. And in in the book, Healthy Caregiving, um, uh, both the one Courage for Caregivers program, because there's a, a a book with retreat questions and exercises, but also in the Healthy Caregiving book, every little section finishes with three or four reflective questions so that the reader can just take some time and, and to look inside their own heart and their soul. And, um, you know, maybe you could ask yourself this question, what have I learned? What what can I learn during this time? You know, have, how have I, what have I learned about solitude? How will it change my life moving forward? How will it change the way I care for people? How will it change the way I allow people to care for me? And so going deep inside sometimes and and just sitting with a cup of coffee with this question or, or sitting with a journal and just jotting down our, our thoughts and our feelings and our, our answers and our questions helps us to be able to bring this to the surface so that we can process it. And so that our emotions have motion, so that they're not stuck inside. And those things can be very life-giving. They're very simple, but they can be very life-giving. Michelle O'Rourke, you have so much to offer, and it's our honor to team up with you in our Now in Society Outreach to Caregivers. You're going to find a link to this new book on our website. It's published by Novalis in Canada and by 23rd Publications in the USA. As well, please look at the beautiful book by Marjorie Thompson, which is especially helpful for home caregivers. It's called Courage for Caregivers, Sustenance for the Journey in Company with Henry Nowen. And there's the book Hope for Caregivers, a 40-day devotional. These can be purchased directly from the Henry Nowen Society. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, we'd be so grateful if you take time to give it a stellar review or a thumbs up or even share it with your family, friends, and perhaps a caregiver you know that might need to hear some of this and be encouraged by it. As well, you're going to find links in the show notes for our website and any content, resources, or books that were discussed in this episode. And by the way, we're planning... Novalis and Michelle are going to be doing a webinar. We haven't quite set the date, but keep an eye on our website and and we'll be sure to update you on that because I'm sure it's going to be a, a golden opportunity to have resources kind of poured into your heart at this point. There's even a link to the books to get you started on our website. In other words, some of you might not be that familiar with some of the titles that were mentioned today, and you'd love to know, where do I kind of delve in a little deeper into Henry now and what would be good for me? Anyway, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you, Michelle, for being part of this. And until next time, I hope you'll return to Henry now and now and then. Thank you. <laughs>